Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. This is the third week in our series, 50 Shades of Grey, the black and white on sexual issues. Today's topic is abortion. Senior Pastor Brandon Williams talks about God being our creator and how the church must create environments of grace for those who have dealt with this issue. In today's message, there are three testimonies from people who have been affected by abortion in one way or another. Well, good morning. Hope everybody's good, 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 good. Welcome. If you're here for the first time, man, glad you're here. Um, praying that God moves in your heart. If you've uh, been here before, glad you're here. Hoping God that God moves in your heart. So I uh, kind of have the same objective here, that God moves in our hearts. Um, one thing I realized today is that uh, you guys walked in here, every one of you carrying something in your life that I believe God um, would love for you to give to Him. And... Many of us walked in here today with wounded hearts from things that have happened in the past, um, maybe old wounds. Some of us have things that are new. Um, and I believe that, that God, that Jesus is a healer of hearts and a healer of our souls and a giver of life. And so my prayer for you today is that you would experience the life-giving power of Jesus Christ. Um, it's been awesome. We've seen that happen the last couple of weeks going into this series. I really didn't know what to expect. And in the last two weeks, we've seen 17 people give their life to the Lord. Um, it's been absolutely incredible. As we were going into this, this series, I was really wondering, you know, well, well what's going to happen? And um, just to see God move in people's hearts, knowing he's bigger than we are or anything we can do or say is absolutely incredible. And so I praise him for that. And praying that he'll continue to move today in the hearts of people, even as we talk about the most hot button topic in the world today. Um, 75% of people uh, actually have a very strong opinion about the topic of abortion. So at this point, we're going to take volunteers to come preach this message. If anybody would like to volunteer, I'm going to go sit in the back. Um, but but it is, it is a very, very hot button topic. It is a a topic that has affected millions and millions and millions of people. And um, I don't take that lightly. I told you last week, I, I felt the weight of these messages like I've never felt the weight of any messages. And so I want you to know I come to this message with um, a, lot of, a lot of the weight that I feel like people have felt. I've never walked through this myself. Um, but I, I feel like in some small way from studying it and from praying and from um, just seeking the Lord on this, that I've been able to at least catch a glimpse into the world of some of the folks who've had to walk through this issue. Um, as I told you last week, I've sat down with people with each of these topics and talked to them about facing this very thing, and I've seen the pain in their eyes. And my, my prayer today is that no matter where you're at on this issue, that uh, whatever is going on, whatever your heart is, whatever wounds you have, that God will begin to heal those. Um, we're going to jump in today. Um, I've only got two hours and 15 minutes left, so we got to get going. Um, yeah, why are y'all laughing? No, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. If you'll turn, this is the main text that I really, if we walk out of here with this one verse sinking into our hearts today, that the Holy Spirit could enliven this verse to our hearts and we can walk out trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ in this one verse in Romans 8:28, not only would it revolutionize our lives in the area of abortion, but I believe it would revolutionize our lives in every area as we trust our Lord Jesus Christ in every and all situations. So I want to read this and we're going to pray. We're going to jump in here 
and, and, and see what the Word of God says about this topic. See what the world's saying about this topic and see what Jesus uh, has, how he has responded to this. Romans eight twenty eight, and it says, And we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Lord, God, I come to you this morning just, just God asking you and begging you to show up in an awesome way, Lord. Move in, in our hearts today, God. Begin to open up our lives and begin, Lord, I, I invite you today to meddle in our lives. To toss us, Lord, to, to shake us. And God, to set us on a firm foundation of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do today, and it would be to heal and change hearts, to change lives, to give us a new heart, that you write your decrees and your life and your spirit on, that it would be for our good and for your glory. I pray that you would draw us close to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've ever faced an issue that you knew, like it was such a big decision that you knew, like you could not afford to be wrong. I know for me, when uh, I moved uh, from a church a long time ago and, and we went to another church, it was very different from our old church. Some of you have, have experienced that, maybe even, even coming here, that you were church and you got away from church and you came here and it's really different maybe than what you experienced growing up. And, and I know for me, when we were in that setting and I had to take my children um, out of what they had known and, and what I'd known for years and years, what my wife had known for all of her life. And, and I had to take uh, my, my son, Dake, who was the only one we had at the time, and I had to put him in an environment that was so different. Um, and I remember thinking and feeling the pressure of that decision and thinking, I can't get this wrong. You know, one of those things where I did not want to like destroy my family's life. I didn't want the rest of our family to be mad at us. I knew that this was a decision that, that, and an issue. It was something that I had to get right. I couldn't miss it. And I feel like as we approach the subject of abortion, it's something that we can't afford to miss. We cannot afford to be wrong on this issue. It is too important. 43% of women have had at least one abortion. I'll tell you, I've got, I studied this, I've studied this for literally for three or four weeks, and listen, I've been digging and reading everything I can. I'm going to cite a lot of different sources. I'm not going to cite a lot of different sources. I'm going to use a lot of different sources. If you would like those sources, I'll be glad to provide those for you. Just email us at the church, and I'll be glad to get those for you if you want to continue studying this on your own. But 43% of women have had at least one abortion. It's the most common surgery performed on women. Half of all unplanned pregnancies end in abortion. The truth is that virtually every family represented in this room has been affected in some way by abortion. Every family. We can't afford to be wrong on this issue. Because here's the thing, if we're wrong and and, and if, if we miss it, there are huge stakes at hand. There, there, there's huge risk at hand. There, there are huge um, implications if we miss this. If pro-choice or the pro-abortion side, listen, if, if it's right, then, then abortion is a basic civil right. Everybody has the right to an abortion if they choose one. But if it's wrong and the pro-life side is right, then that means there are 3,753 
abortions every day that result in 3,753 human casualties. In a couple of days, we're going to be uh, remembering September 11th. Forever, it'll just be referred to as September 11th when idiots started flying airplanes into buildings and killing innocent people. Every day, 3,753 abortions result in 3,753 human casualties more than were suffered on September 11th. Each abortion represents a life created in the image of God that was ended, and each abortion represents a woman, and listen, in many cases, men who live with wounds that must be dealt with. We cannot underestimate the devastating wake that is left behind after abortion. When you begin to look at this and you begin to study this, you begin to see, listen, that, that women who've had abortions struggle with depression far more than women who haven't. That, that the, the, the risk of suicide goes up. More suicides happen after women have abortions. Um, more women even have different illnesses, breast cancer and different illnesses that are higher percentages after an abortion. This doesn't stop. The, the hurt and the pain does not stop once the abortion's taken place. It continues and it goes on. It's not a one-time fix that gets us out of a difficult situation. The pain, the hurt, the shame, the guilt continue. And people's lives are affected for years and years until this is dealt with. The one question that I want us to answer today, the one thing that I really want us to begin to look at is, is, is and because I think if we come to the, the correct answer on this question, then we can come to the correct response to abortion. The one question I want to answer today and that I want us to really understand is that does human life begin at conception or after birth? Does human life begin after conception or after birth? When we come to a place where we've answered that question, then we can rightly answer, is abortion okay? When does it begin? Both sides, I would say this, both sides, except for some fringe idiots on either side, would agree that, that, that human beings have certain human rights, a right to life, right? So the question becomes, when does human life begin? I don't think anybody in here would say that, yeah, it's okay if we kill a three-month-old, right? When they're waking up at like two o'clock in the morning, sometimes the thought, you know, but Let's just be honest. But the reality of it is that none of us would consider that. It's a baby. It's a child. So if we answer that life begins at conception, then there's really no different than a three-month-old. But if it begins after birth, then again, it becomes a basic civil right for people. So the question that we have to answer is, when does life begin I want us to look first at some scientific um, things. Just, just how do, what does science say? As I study both sides of this, I begin to pull from different places things that science says. And, and some of these people you don't know, but, but they, they're, they're doctors and, and they're different people who were quoted in, in different resources talking about um, just how life begins and when it begins and how they've been taught in medical school from the beginning of their days and, and, and really looking at when does life begin scientifically. One of the biggest objections that we see um, 
uh, for the abortion side that says it ought to be a basic civil right is that one of the biggest arguments is that it's the woman's body. Right? It's a woman's body. She can do with it as she pleases. She should have the right. And we look at this as if it were um, having an arm removed, right? If I choose to have my arm cut off, I ought to be able to have my arm cut off. Some of us have had our tonsils removed. If I want to have my tonsils out, I should have my tonsils. I should be able to have my tonsils out. Nobody should tell me I can't have my tonsils out. The others that will be, you know, an appendix. How many of you, everybody, probably half of you in here have had an appendix out. Like everybody I know is like, I have my appendix out. I don't, why did God put that there? I don't really know. It's kind of a useless thing. But we, we just say, listen, it's, it's my appendix. I can take my appendix. If I want to have my appendix removed, that's my choice. And so we, we say, it's their body. Let them do what they will. It, you know, it's just like having another part of your body removed. The only difference, listen, and this is a huge difference, is your arm has the same genetic code as the rest of your body. Like you cut your arm off, they, they looked at it, they looked at the, your genetics, they looked at your DNA, it is going to match perfectly with your body. But listen, a baby from the moment of conception has its own genetic code. Pointing us to the fact that at the moment of conception, it is a very distinct life from its mother. Very distinct life. If one, if a woman's body is the only one involved, listen, this is kind of freaky, kind of creepy. Then it means that during pregnancy, the woman has two noses, four arms, four legs, four eyes, and in half of pregnancies, male genitals. My wife had three sons. That explains a lot. Because granted now, women can get kind of crazy when they're pregnant. You know what I'm saying? Man, we're just crazy all the time. But women, it makes sense now, right? But half of the women have, have all of these extra parts. But we know that that's not true. We know that it's a distinct life in a woman. If you plant a Chinese zygote inside of a, a Swedish woman, what are you going to get every time when she has the child? A Chinese baby. You would not put in a Chinese and then it comes out looking like me, right? That is not going to happen. And so you begin to see that it is a very distinct life. We've seen in many cases where the child may live and the mother may die or the mother may live and the child may die. It's two distinct lives. We even see this in our own law that if an abortion is scheduled and on the way to the abortion, the baby is killed by someone. Inside the mother, the killer is processed for murder. Prosecuted for murder. But if that murder does not occur and the mother goes to the scheduled abortion, a doctor legally, through a legal procedure, kills the same child. It's like a double standard. If it happens on the way, it's murder. If it happens in the office, it's illegal procedure. I, I want to look at just a couple of other things that science reveals. I, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but one professor of obstetrics, okay, 
I guess that's how you say that, at the University of Pennsylvania stated, I've learned from my earliest medical education that human life begins at the time of conception. Human life is present throughout this entire sequence from conception to adulthood. Any interruption at any point through this time constitutes a termination of human life. I'm no more prepared to say that these early stages represent an incomplete human being than I would be to say that the child prior to the dramatic effects of puberty is not a human being. This is a life human life at every stage. Listen, now we would probably argue that when teenagers go through puberty, they are not human. In fact, most 7th and 8th graders are not human. I found that out when I was in youth ministry. But we would never argue that just because they haven't been through puberty, that they're not human. A professor at Harvard University Medical School said, it's scientifically correct to say that an individual human life begins at conception. This is something I found very interesting. The moment of each person's creation is the moment of his conception. Before that moment, the individual with his unique DNA did not exist. From that moment, he does. Listen to this. Even the owner of Oregon's largest abortion clinic testified under oath, of course human life begins at conception. Think about our governments that seem to rarely get things right. But in Missouri, who didn't they get beat last night by some Georgia team? It seems like I vaguely recall that. Um, The Missouri General Assembly overwhelmingly approved a 2003 bill which stated the General Assembly of the state finds that, one, the life of each human being begins at conception. Two, unborn children have protectable interest in life, health, and well-being. The term unborn children or unborn child shall include all unborn child or children or the offspring of human beings from the moment of conception until birth at every stage of biological development. Another thing said, the newly fertilized egg contains a staggering amount of genetic information sufficient to control the individual's growth and development of his entire lifetime. A single thread of DNA from a human cell contains information equivalent to a library of 1,000 volumes. There was another one that went through the development just during the first trimester, the first three months of the pregnancy, and how it broke down when the, the eyes, the heart, all of the organs begin to develop. But the one thing that I found amazing is that it says all this happens in the first trimester, the, trimester, the first three months of life. In the remaining six months in the womb, nothing new develops or begins functioning. The fully intact child only grows and matures unless her life is lost by miscarriage or taken through abortion. There was another guy who came up with with taking the science and broke it down into this acronym called SLED. And he said the only difference in an unborn and a born child is using the acronym SLED is one size. Does how big you are determine who you are? Does, Does how big you are determine the value of your life? Think about it like is Reed, my, my 20 month old, less of a person than me because I'm bigger than he is. Right? No. Size does not determine the value of life. The level of development, the L in sled, level of development, are 20 year olds more human than 10 year olds since they're smarter and stronger? The E in sled was for environment. Does being inside a house make you more or less of a person than being outside? Does being located in his mother's body rather than outside make a child less human? And the third one, D, is degree of dependency. Does dependence upon another determine who you are? Is someone like with Alzheimer's or on kidney dialysis less of a person? Am I an, I, an insulin-dependent diabetic less of a person than before I contracted the disease? I mean, I think about this even with my own grandfather. He developed Alzheimer's. He developed dementia. 
but it didn't make him less valuable because he couldn't take care of himself. He didn't just like push him off in the woods and leave him. He took care of him because he has value and he had life. And we looked after him. It's an indisputable scientific fact that each and every surgical abortion in America stops a beating heart and stops already measurable brain waves. It's so scientifically proven that most of the people who really began to push women's rights and began to push the, the, uh, the feminist movement in the 60s now are saying we had to tag abortion along with the, the women's right movement because it could not gain any strength on its own merit. So we tagged it in. But what's crazy and what's so strange about this issue is that when we fight so many times for women's rights and and for them to have the rights, we deny 650,000 females every year the basic right to life. Isn't that wild? By saying we're, we're pursuing and pushing for rights, we deny 650,000 future women rights. Logically, and this is just something, it's not nearly as profound as all those other things because I thought of this. But logically, I was thinking about this issue and does it even make sense? Like to say that, 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 that somewhere in between conception and birth that, that life begins. I mean, at no point during that is there really any difference. The, the, the baby is at a constant stage of development. It's just at a different stage. Just like once the child is born, it's at a different stage of development. And, and it will be again. Listen, if you've had kids, you know they are constantly changing. And there are phases and stages they go to that you just pray to God are phases and stages. I'm like, oh, Lord, deliver us. I, I have literally put my hand on my, my children's head and be like, come out of him, Satan. We got oil and everything, you know, just, I don't know what this is, but be delivered. And, and, and we see like there's stages all through, but to say that, that, that somewhere in between that, that a child becomes a human being, it doesn't even make sense. At no point can they sustain life on their own. I mean, they're either, they're either um, born and, and are a human being at conception or at birth. There's nowhere in between that it even begins to make sense. How can we say at 19 weeks it's not a human being and at 20 it is? What magic wand is waved over that to say that it it becomes a human being? There's really no difference. At conception or right before the birth, the child still needs protection. The child still needs nourishment. After birth, the child needs protection. The child needs nourishment. The child needs to be taken care of. So whether it's one day old, seven weeks old, 20 weeks old, 30 weeks old, or a newborn, what is the difference? It's a human life. I know when we went and, and we went to my son's, my oldest son's ultrasound and, and all of them, but I remember the first one so clearly because Susan was seven weeks pregnant. And I remember the lady took the little ultrasound thing. It's just, just kind of freaky anyway when you watch that happen. And they put the little jelly stuff all over her belly. And they're just, yeah. And then they start rubbing that thing. And then you start seeing all this movement. And they're like, oh. I'm like, it looks like jello to me. I got no idea what that is. And they're like, oh, look at that. And they're like, look at this. This is it. And she was like, there's the heart. I'm like, where? She's like, right there. And you could see this little dot 
that was flickering. Flickering at seven weeks old. And she said, that's his heart. That's weird. It was beating like 143 beats per minute. I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, that's normal. I'm like, no, it can't be normal. That's like twice normal. She's like, no, that's what they do. It goes down after they're born. And I was like, oh, whew. And I wondered really with him if it has, because he's old, it's like all over the place. Just all over the place. But in seven weeks, I saw this, this heartbeat. I saw this baby. I saw this life. And I already began to grow to love him. I hadn't even officially met him. But I knew that there was a life in her. I have to wonder with such clear evidence of life beginning at conception. How have we been blinded? How have we been fooled into thinking that something else is occurring at conception rather than the beginning of a human life? How have we fallen into this? I mean, the Bible talks about us, our eyes being blinded. And I look at this issue and I'm like, how could we look at that and think anything else other than that is a human being? So that's some of the things that science says. I want to read some things and listen, honestly, guys, listen to me. And I can give you resources that, that, that have this. And, and I could have stood up here for the, the, a whole, whole hour and read scripture. They talk about the, the, the life beginning at conception. They talk about God creating life, being the giver of life. That is God's creation. I could literally have stood here, but I just picked a few of them. And, and just because I want you to see how plain Scripture is on this topic, that as we came into this, we, we entitled the series um, Fifty Shades of Grey, the black and white on um, sexual issues. And, and when we look at this, this is one and there is no gray. Just like with the others, there is no gray on what Scripture says about it. I want you to hear this. In Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Like the very first sentence of the Bible says, In the beginning, God created. So we see that in everything, God is the creator. We find in Colossians 1.17 that He is the sustainer. He not only creates it, but He holds it together that it is His creation, not ours. The Bible even talks about in different places that our bodies are not even our own. They belong to Him. That, that He is the creator. Psalm 103 says, Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. We belong to Him. What an awesome statement that we belong to God. Isaiah 44, 24 says, This is what the Lord says, Your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, the Maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by Myself. We see that He created us even from that moment when that little heart is beating. He is the Creator and Giver of life. Isaiah 64, 8 Yet, O oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And in every situation, God, the potter, is taking us and molding us and shaping us and forming us as a potter forms clay. Job 31, 15, did not he who made me in the womb make him, make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? Job 10, 8 through 12, your hand shaped me and made me. Will you now turn and destroy me? Remember that you molded me like clay. Will you now turn me to dust again? Did you not, didn't you not pour me out 
like mild and curdle me like cheese. Clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. You gave me life and showed me kindness and in your providence watched over my spirit. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Isaiah 49.1, listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. Before I was born, it says that God knows us before we even come out into this world from our parents, from our mother, that the Lord knows us. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. You see that God gives us a purpose even before we're born, that he has created us for a purpose that ought to be encouraging to you and to I that even before God created us before before we were God created us with a purpose for his kingdom to be for our good and for his glory that we would work for him and do the things he created for us to do long before we even were it's interesting listen I told you I could read scripture all day long about this topic The one thing I found as I studied all of this is that there's not one pro-abortion argument that is argued from Scripture. Not one. And listen, we've already looked at this whole series, how we try to take Scripture and twist it to say what we want it to say, and it just doesn't say it. In this situation, we have to realize that there is no way to take Scripture and get it to say that abortion is okay. Here's a crazy thing though. Two-thirds of abortions take place with people who claim to be Christians, who, who have a Christian affiliation. And I want you to hear, hear this, hear, hear all of this, okay? Because again, this is an issue that in many, 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 many ways we have butchered this issue, Okay? But two-thirds of people who have abortions have a Christian affiliation. And I started asking myself, like, why? Why why is that the case that two-thirds, many claiming to be evangelical, born-again Christians, are having abortions? And and I want to give you three reasons that I think this is true, that, that, that this is taking place. The first is that I think it's another in a long list of evidences that suggest that we own Bibles, but Bibles don't own us. I believe that that's true. The second one is that the church has shot away from the issue so no one knows, right? We don't talk about things because I realize this. I got accused, this is funny. I got accused of doing this series because I was trying to grow the church. Does that even make sense? Do you really think if I was trying to grow the church, I would do these four messages? If I was trying to grow, I would have brought like Barnum and Bailey in or something. You know what I'm saying? I would have told you seven ways to be the best you. I don't, you know, I would have made up something, you know? Because I realized that these messages aren't popular. But you know what? I would do this and I would do it again and again and again for the 17 people whose hearts have been changed and whose destiny and eternal destiny have been altered 
and salvation has come to them. One of the greatest struggles you'll have in ministry and you'll have in life is fear of man. I say bump man, let's preach the truth. The reality is we shy away from these things. I'm telling you, we the church, we we need to find some guts. We need to find some backbone. We need to begin to believe what we say we believe and begin to walk in what we say we believe so that we can proclaim truth to people, truth and grace. The third one, and listen, listen, the church has failed to be the church and it put people in a damn to hell if I do and a damn to hell if I don't position. We've just damned them either way. You're down to hell. You, you had, you got pregnant out of wedlock. You're down to hell. You had an abortion. Preacher, she should have kept her pants up. You ought to quit looking at porn and talking about people. Right? And so we put these, these women and we put, put them in the, between this, this rock of, of public shame or this hard place of secret shame. Which one would you choose? Which one would you choose? Our nature is to hide it. I'll take the secret because I certainly can't tell my family, my Christian friends, that I made a mistake. What are we doing, church? We've created environments where people can't be real, that they can't not be okay. And we pressured women. I'm not, listen, I'm not giving excuses for abortion. Listen, I'm not, that is not what I'm doing. But I am telling you, I had to ask myself this question this week. If the church had been being the church all of these years, and we had been a place where it could be, where you could come and not be okay, and where we would support single mothers, and we would care for, for their children and help raise their children, how many abortions would not have taken place? How many? Studies show 84%. of women say in another situation where they thought they had more support, they would not have had an abortion. One leading feminist lady who who was leading Feminist for Life, a past president, said that no woman chooses abortion as if choosing an ice cream or a Porsche. Like, yay, I get to have an abortion. She said they choose it like an animal chooses to gnaw its foot out of a trap. They feel trapped. And, and listen, I want to say this. Guys, listen. If you're pressuring a girl into an abortion, you're not a man, you're a boy. And it's time to step up and take responsibility for your life and for the life that God's created. I want to give you some things. I want to, uh, some things that the church can do. Listen, what can we do to help? What can we do to change this? What can we do? Number one, the church can create environments of openness that people come into and share their hurts and their struggles. It's a place where we can be real. There are people in here right now who are wounded from this. There are people in here right now who have the potential to be healed and to be whole, but it's not going to happen if we stay silent 
And church, listen, our responsibility is to let them know we love them and we are here for them and we want to walk with them. The church has got to create environments in which people can be real. Number two, the church also needs to step up in caring for and supporting single moms. This is something that's been on my heart. It's been huge on my heart lately. So some of you are single moms. And listen, if there's some of you don't have that man in, in your life, a godly man, to be able to be that role model, to be that person. Listen, men, we need to step up. Church, we need to step up and support. We need to be able to be there and to be an example and to show them that, that, that there is a way to live a godly life as a man. Number three, we can adopt or foster children. We can adopt or foster children. Listen, that's something that, again, is heavy on mine and Susan's heart. When we had Reed, like our third child, I was like, I do not even know if I have energy to do this. I literally, I was like, God's grace will have to be sufficient because I can't do this. And so we were like, we're done. Susan's like, my body's finished. So I ain't having no more. But we always felt like we would adopt. And I really believe that this is a part of our future. I really feel certain that at one, some point we are going to adopt a child. I, I, and, and it excites me. It gets me excited so much. So we've even talked with our, our uh, oldest son and, and our middle son about this. Reed wouldn't understand. You'd be like, you want to adopt? He's like, <laughs> he's confused all the time anyway. But, but with our oldest too, we're like, what would y'all think if we adopted a child? If we, if we brought another child into the home and date was like, can we, can we adopt so-and-so? I was like, who? And he's like, you know, from the baseball team. And I was like, Dave, listen, he's, he's got a good mom. He's like, I know, but we can play baseball all the time. It'd be awesome. He's like, we, can, can we adopt? Can we just adopt him? And, and I'm like, but Dick, he has a good family. He's got a good mother who is, is raising him good. And he's like, I know that, but, but that's like, Dick, that's kidnapping. That's not adoption. We can't, <laughs> we cannot do that, Dick. No. They were actually excited about the idea. And I believe that that's an area that we can step up, man. Listen, we, we can adopt, we can foster, we can take care of these children. The fourth one is that we can support and fund Christ-centered ministries that champion life and, and that, that are there for women who've been through abortion and who are hurting and wounded. We can support them financially. We can support them with our time. The church supports one of them here in town that is called um, Choices of the Heart who, who loves on these women who've been through abortion and who help women who... Um, and they're facing it and they're stuck in between that rock and that hard place. And I want you to know if you're here today and you're either coming out of an abortion, you've been through one. I don't know if the wounds are fresh or if the wounds are old. This is what I tell you. We want to be here for you. So this is the heart. They want to be here for you. In fact, you can go over here in the prayer hall today. They've got material set up for you. You can go out the back of this auditorium today after the service and you can go to the left right there. You'll find people who will pray with you. We want you to be able to find people that you can open up to, that your heart can be healed. Some of you have tucked this thing away and it's killing you and it's robbing you of life. But Jesus came so that we could have life and have it abundantly. And Romans 8.28 is true that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes, even through abortion. That God works all things for the good of those who are called according to his purpose and who love him. 
The fifth one, the last one, is that we must be able to clearly communicate the preciousness of life in a great balance of grace and truth. Listen, we can't simply remain silent. We have to let people know there are other options to abortion. There's adoption. There's raising the child. When we're there to support them, they can make this decision. I want you to watch a video right now of someone in this church who made a different decision. I experienced an unplanned pregnancy at the age of 15, and I can still vividly remember um, the first feeling that I had. Um, It was just sheer terror. I was scared. I felt alone. I was confused, um, in a sense ashamed, because I was actually raised um, in a Christian home, and uh, I was a Christian, although not living a Christian life. Um, And so I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go, who to talk to. And so I I hid it for a little while. And um, then I told my sister, who is older than, than me, and she said, you know, Allison, you've got to tell mom and dad. They have to know. They can help you. They can support you through this, no matter how disappointed they are going to be, they still need to know and they can get you through this. We can get you through this. And so I told my mom and my dad, um, and just like my sister said, my mom and dad were very supportive. My mom, you know, just still in the shock of the news, um, she just kind of said, you know, more saying to herself, um, kind of out loud, you know, what are we going to do? And I can remember looking at her and said, I, I know exactly what, what I'm going to do, what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to get an abortion. And uh, my mom just paused and she looked at me and she said, Allison, you know, let's slow down. Let's think about things. We have some time. We need to explore some options. We need to talk to somebody that knows um, about this. And so it was, it was then that I got introduced to a pregnancy resource center. It was uh, the local, what they called a crisis pregnancy center. And uh, my mom took me to that pregnancy center, and that is where I met a counselor. You know, she, she kind of had me stop and think and slow down about um, my thoughts about abortion. And, you know, she, she was basically very frank with me. You know, she said, you say you're a Christian, then you know um, that God created life and that um, God reserved His very breath for you. So I left that pregnancy center that day choosing life, and um, I'm so glad I did. At first, I really couldn't think about placing my child um, for adoption. I always thought that, you know, bad mothers did that. Bad mothers placed children up for adoption, and um, I remember wrestling with those feelings. And it was very difficult, but the more I thought about it and the closer that I drew to Christ during that time through prayer and scripture, my eyes were open to how beautiful adoption really, truly is. I actually had a hand in, you know, 
choosing my daughter's parents, and it was it was wonderful. I can remember the day that she was born, and I, and I did. I spent time with her, and you know, holding her and loving on her, and it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. Not probably, it was. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life was to let her go that day. But I knew that that was God's plan and I knew that God would watch over her and take care of her. I had that faith and I had hope for her. And um, so I never regretted that decision. Was it a painful one? Yes but I never regretted it. Several years later, I guess about 11 years later, God saw fit to bring her back into my life. And uh, we met July of 2000. And uh, words just cannot describe that meeting. I don't have the words other than uh, just sheer joy and to be reunited with her and to have that privilege to have her back in, in my life um, to this day. And I look forward to a relationship with her in the future, an even closer one. Amen. The reality is, listen, Romans eight twenty eight is true. Romans, now that is an awesome story. And you know, listen, not everyone ends up where there's reconciliation, but I know this: God works all things to the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. So there are other options. There's some difficult questions that I'd rather skip, but we can't skip. The first one is: What about rape and incest? What about pregnancy and rape and, or incest where, where the, the, the girl, the woman becomes pregnant? First of all, I'd say that this is less than 1% of all pregnancies. For a lot of times, a lot of times this becomes kind of a smokescreen to advance the entire agenda. It's actually less than 1% of all pregnancies. The first thing I, I, I want you to understand this, and, and, and girls listen to me, ladies listen to me. I do not believe for one second that God caused you to be raped. And I do not believe for one second that God desires for that to happen to any one of you. God is a perfect, loving Father. I'm an evil, sinful Father. Somebody amen that. And I would not want that for my own child. How much less would God want that for us? But I will tell you this, that even in that God works all things to the good of those. And listen, God can move in your heart and in your life. And I know it may appear that there is absolutely no way God can redeem that and use it for His kingdom. It's interesting that in all other cases of abortion, we speak of the child as belonging to the mother. But in case of rape or incest, we speak of the child belonging to the father. And I wondered if we looked at this in a different way, if we might see it a little bit differently. If rather than viewing the child as a reminder of a horrendous act and deed, 
a sin that was committed against someone else, if we looked at the child as part of the redeeming work of God to bring life into the world, could we view it differently? At the end of the day, we have to come back to the question, when does life begin? I would encourage you with this, for those of you who ever faced this, or those of you who maybe are facing this situation, that in a book called Victims and Victors, 192 interviews of women who were, made, who were pregnant from rape, 55 children were conceived from those 192 women. It was funny that the, most of the opinions were the opposite of what we would think. The ones who had abortions, nearly all of them regretted having it. And out of the 55 who had the babies, not one of them regretted having the child. A second difficult question we have to ask ourselves is what about a birth defect? What do we do in that? And, and listen, I want to be real sensitive here because people have walked through this. But there does seem to be somewhat of a double standard. On one hand, we will go to the Special Olympics and we'll cheer and we'll, we'll celebrate the lives of the people in those Olympics and we'll talk about how we're inspired by their lives. But then on the other hand, so many times we say they don't have the right to life. It seems to be very much a double standard. My wife uh, is an occupational therapist in the school system. system. She works with special needs kids. And just about every day, she seems to come home with another story about how one of these kids inspired her life, how one of them has done something that's just absolutely amazing, how they've taken a step or a stride that they never would have taken, and she's able to come home and talk about that and share that. It's significant that there's not been a single organization of parents of mentally retarded children that's ever endorsed abortion. I want to watch you, get you watch one more video, um, real quick, of a family who faced this issue. Spring of 2003, um, Tim and I found out we were pregnant with our second child. Caitlin was excited to be big sister. She couldn't think of anything better. The technician's doing our ultrasound, and we hear the heartbeat. She tells us that it's going to be a boy. Um, then Caitlin kind of looked at us funny and wanted to know if she could get an exchange immediately and we told her no we can't take it back but then the technician looked at us and said that um, there were some problems she needed to get the doctor in to talk with us the doctor came in um, and he explained the situation that the ultrasound tech was referring to and our son had enlarged ventricles um, in his brain he kind of had a very negative tone about everything that he was saying and, uh, you know, somewhere along that line that he said the words, should you decide to continue this pregnancy? And I just remember kind of being in shock, um, kind of being a little bit of a fog when those words came out. And I remember the only thing that went through my mind is, you know, that's really not an option for us. And I knew it was for me. I knew it would be for Tanya, too. It's you know, not something that we can consider. So the words just kind of bounced off of me, but they, they did resonate inside my head. He took us from there, um, introduced us to a genetic specialist uh, who kind of went through some statistics of a child who has enlarged ventricles. Um, they're at high risk for Down syndrome. They're at high risk for spina bifida. They're at high risk for cerebral palsy. Um, our follow-up ultrasound 
we went and they looked at the ventricles. They were still enlarged, um, and it was also a secondary issue, and that was some some scar tissue that was present inside the womb. And we found out that you know our son was living in half the normal space that he should live in. And this other space was just void, and they told us that there was a hole in that wall, and that you know if his arm or his leg went through there, that um, it could constrict and he could lose a limb, or if the umbilical cord fell through there. Um, he could even die. Um, there were several times when the doctor had made the comment, you know, do y'all want to continue with this pregnancy? My thought was, that's not really my choice. Um, you have to put your trust into God. And I knew if I did put my trust in God, things were going to work out for what God intended them to do. Tim and I go back to my doctor in Savannah. He asked us if we would be willing to go see two more physicians at MCG in Augusta. Um, Tim and I weren't real excited about having to go see another doctor and hear more bad news, but we went. He set up our appointments. Um, we go and see the neurosurgeon first to discuss the enlarged ventricles. We walk in, and the neurosurgeon says, you know, yeah, he's got an enlarged ventricle, but it's okay. A lot of males have enlarged ventricles, and we don't see a big problem with it. He said, you will be preterm. The baby will come early, but things will be okay. And uh, so Tim and I finally... We're excited again. So we're at week 30, and Aiden decides he's going to enter the world. There we start seven weeks into the NICU. Um, Aiden lives in a little incubator for seven weeks with having spinal taps, blood transfusions. He had sleep apnea. His veins kept popping, so they had to put IVs in his head. Um, and then they finally release us, and um, we get to come home after seven weeks of in the neonatal care yeah but we're you know we're, we're excited to be home but we're, we're nervous as well um you know aiden begins to to grow and and you know and develop and we're seeing specialist after specialist and you know we're we're getting some some bad news about his development it's a little slow as can be expected but he became sort of a little sponge he just took information um and he just processed it and He's just a highly intelligent you know, little kid, um, tested last year in second grade, you know, reading on a 10th grade level. Um, so what he, he lacks some in physical stature, he makes up for in his personality and his, you know, and his, his skills. My, my biggest struggle I had um, going through this um, is I started questioning myself through this process. Uh, when we went to the neurosurgeon's office in Augusta, um, you know, I saw a lot of um, special needs children that, you know, I could tell their parents were just having poor round-the-clock care into, to, uh, to them. And I started questioning myself, you know, could I really handle, um, you know, those duties? Am I, am I equipped emotionally to, to be that kind of parent? And, and uh, the answer I found um, to that was in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Um, you know, I, I really find a lot of comfort, you know, in those verses. Um, it meant a lot to me. But it took me to get to the point where I said, You know, Lord, I don't understand this. You know, I need your help. And, and He did. He took those burdens and, you know, He helped me to come at ease with that. This whole process was hard. I mean, it was very tough for us. Um, you know, would I change it? No, I wouldn't change it for anything in the world. 
um, you know, what this process did for us, um, what Aiden has done and touched our lives. We've grown spiritually. Our family bond has grown tighter. Um, we've grown closer to God, and for that, you know, I'm eternally grateful for this whole process. Romans 8, 28, in all things, God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. It's awesome. I had an opportunity, a privilege to baptize Aiden about three months ago, three or four months ago now. And it was so funny, man. He came down in the water and he was so excited. He was like just laughing, giggling. And, and I, I always ask people, you know, who's your Lord and Savior? And they say, Jesus Christ. And hopefully I don't have to tell them who it is. Um, since they're about to be baptized. And I said, who's your Lord? He said, Jesus. And I said, upon your confession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I baptize him. He comes up smiling, grinning. He walks over to his mom and he goes, Mama, I figured a preacher would know who Jesus is. <laughs> yeah, that's good. But if you know Aiden, man, he is awesome. He is an awesome kid. And I just want to encourage you, you, you face this, that God works all things to the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. One of the most common excuses that we, people give for having abortions is they'll say, well, God will forgive me if I do it. You know, and, that, and that's true. God will forgive you. But I want you to understand that grace is not a loophole to do whatever we want to do. Grace is the power that sustains us in the midst of circumstances that we face. And I want to encourage you with that, I want you to understand that on the before side of abortion, that Romans 8.28 is true. That, that God works all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. But I also want to speak just for a moment for, to the 40 or 50% of women and of, of some of the men in here who have walked through this situation. That Romans 8.28 is also true for you. That God works all things to the good of those who love Him. And are called according to his purposes. That even through something that you've been through that hurts this badly, God works them for good. I want you to understand that, that at the cross of Christ, there is healing. That in the, the Spirit of God, there is healing. There are people in here today who have very real wounds from very real sins that have been one done to them and done by them. But God, Jesus at the cross offers healing. I want to draw your attention real quick to John chapter 19. In this scripture, Jesus is hanging on a cross. And it says that as he was dying, when he had received the drink, they had given him a jar of wine or some wine vinegar to, to give him something to drink. And it says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. When that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What I want you to hear from me today is if you have been on the other side of abortion, if you are on the side of abortion where you're healing from it, that you're mourning from it, that you're in the trauma that comes after it, Jesus took that for you. 
He said it is finished. What he meant by that is that it is fully finished forever. I have taken this on myself. I have borne your sin. I have borne your iniquity. I have borne every hurt and every wound that you will ever feel. Now will you surrender that to me and allow me to bring healing into your life? John 1930, when he says it is finished in the Greek, it is actually a term that was put across debt certificates and they would put it across the debt certificate, meaning that that debt had been satisfied forever, that it was done. And this is what I know, people. Listen to me. Jesus died on a cross for our sin and he took our sin upon his body. But the Bible also speaks of the fact that Jesus took all of our iniquities. He took all of our diseases that, that, that by his stripes, we have been healed. And that we can be healed through the power of Jesus' grace. I want you to understand that whichever side of this you find yourself on, that there is healing available. Jesus has not turned his back on you. And he offers very real healing and help to you today. There's some Steps of healing that we'd love to walk through with you. There's some things we'd love for you to be able to, to experience and, and to begin to experience God's healing. But I really believe, and I want you to just bear with me one more time. I lied to you while I go. I said the last video. I've got one more. And listen, I know you're getting restless, but here's the thing I'm going to ask you. Let this video speak to your heart. For some of you, it's abortion. For some of you, maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a decision you made. Maybe it's having sex outside of marriage. I don't know what it is, but I want you to hear the healing power of Jesus in this last video, I promise, the last video. My testimony is a testimony about forgiveness. As a child, I grew up with a father who was an addict. He was never home during my childhood. He would get paid on Friday and we wouldn't see him for days. And then when he ran out of money, he'd come home. He was in jail most of my teenage years. And it was during my teenage years that um, I fell away from God and I fell away from my family. And um, I was just longing for someone to love me. And at 15, I fell in love. I fell in love as much as you can fall in love at 15 years old. And, um, and I fell into sexual sin. And the very first time I had sex, I became pregnant. Something that I thought that would never happen. But after long hours of talking, we decided that the best choice was abortion. So I just went on with my life like nothing ever happened. And... Uh, graduated high school and went away to college and that was the best decision of my life because at that point in my life is when I got closest to God that I've ever gotten. About three months later I um, I met this guy and he asked me out and I was really nervous because um, I didn't want to fall back into my sexual sin. I repented from that. We dated for about a month and um, at this point it was about Easter weekend and so on Easter weekend, I went home and spent the weekend with my mom, and um, she had gotten tickets to this play. And uh, 
we went and it was about the returning of Christ. And there were different scenes and the trumpet would sound and God would come get, you know, the people or or the devil would. And so there was this girl in the corner praying, saying that she had had an abortion and how she didn't deserve to go to heaven. And the trumpet sounded and um, Jesus walked around the corner with a baby in his hand. And at that point, my mom and I knew that my baby was in heaven. And uh, that night changed our lives. We, um, we went home and cried and talked about the one thing we had both have tried to forget for eight years. And uh, so we talked and she had told me that she had forgiven me. And I told her that I had forgiven her. And um, after eight years, I'd finally forgiven myself. And that was huge. So after a few years, in 05, we'd gotten married. And we were ready to start a family. And I was scared to death because I didn't know if God would bless us with a baby because of my past. And um, so after about three months of trying, I got pregnant. At this point in my life, I went and talked to Allison Westerville. She was the director of the Crisis Pregnancy Center at the time. And um, she prayed with me and told me that God's grace is sufficient and that um, and that He forgave me and that I was going to be a wonderful mommy and that that was my past. And just recently, um, I got back in touch with Allison and um, walked through a Bible study called Surrendering the Secret. And I was finally able to talk openly about my abortion. Um, I said things out loud that I've never said before. And um, I finally feel free. And uh, that center has helped me more in the past year. I've talked about my abortion. I've, I've prayed. God's revealed to me that, you know, that that baby was a little boy. And I've named him Andrew. I was able to have a memorial service for him. I know he's walking on the streets of gold with my father up there. And I can't wait to meet him. Listen. God works all things to the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. You're here today and you're reeling from this. You're here today and your heart is wounded. We want to walk you through a healing process. We want to see Jesus Heal your heart and heal your soul. Make you whole. But you've got to take your first step. A step towards healing. The first step is the hardest. The Bible says that if we'll confess our sin before God and one another, He is faithful. He'll heal us. Are we willing to come today and open our lives up? the wounds of our hearts up and allow someone to speak with us. Listen, in just a minute, I'm going to pray. I know some of you, listen, here's the good thing. Here's the bad thing. Here's the good thing. We're going to sing a song about the healing power of Christ and make a declaration about who God is and who Jesus is. Here's the, here's the bad thing. Some people are going to leave instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to their heart because it's 12.05. Here's the good thing. If you need prayer today, 
and we can help you take that first step and walk with you through your next steps, nobody's going to know. You just walk out with the rest of them and hang a left instead of a right. And we're going to have people there who will pray with you. Who will walk with you. We've got resources for you. My prayer is that today we would allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us. I want you to understand, no matter where you've been, what you've done, who you've done it with, the Lord Jesus Christ loves you and wants to do an amazing work in your life. You cannot do so many bad things that you can get out of reach of the cross. Jesus is here today to meet with you. I ask you to surrender your heart to Him and let Him begin to create in you a new heart that is whole, finds its joy in Him. So let's pray. We're going to go into this song. If you need prayer, you just walk out the back. But I pray that the Holy Spirit will minister to you during this time. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for life. God, so many times we walk through life and we are bruised and we are battered and our hearts are wounded and it feels like they've been trampled on. And God, we, we struggle, Lord, to keep our head above water. But yet, God, we can come to you and be held and be loved and be made whole and be alive. God, just speak to our hearts today. Whatever wounds we have in our heart, God, I pray that you would be the healer. God, that we would see that 1 Peter 2.24 is true, God. That by the stripes you took on your back. That every drop of blood that was shed was shed to cover our sin and to heal our hearts. Give us new hearts today. We rejoice in you. Jesus, you are good. Be our healer, Lord. In the amazing name of Jesus.